0: Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. As the get your COVID vaccine news tightens even more everywhere on the planet, lawyers are running to the courts for relief as they raise the specter of public health systems around the world, having been taken over by a well-organized pharmaceutical and vaccine mafia. If that's true, how has it been done? A scathing research paper written by my guest today names names and explains in detail how the criminal capture and sabotage of India's public health system was achieved by hybrid public private organizations in cahoots with big pharma corporations, an army of paid off public servants and nonprofit foundations, chief among them, the Gates Foundation. Johan Tengra is an independent researcher, functional medical consultant, and chief knowledge officer of the healthcare company iThrive. His bombshell paper titled India's COVID-19 Task Force and, quote, experts, unquote, exposed conflicts of interest in our public health system is a roadmap to how it was done in India, the second most populous nation in the world. Tangra's research raises questions about whether similarly organized efforts with similar players are unfolding in other nations. Welcome, Johan. Thank you. You wrote that the capture of India's public health system by fake philanthropists like Bill Gates, the Rockefellers, and their frontmen and the pharmaceutical vaccine mafia started in India in 2006. So, what happened in 2006?
1: Actually, the story goes further back to 2004, when uh, actual uh, cables came out from WikiLeaks that were talking about how the US State Department was coordinating with the health ministry. And they were talking about setting up this institution that would steer uh, public health in India and uh, how there was a need for a lot of public health universities to come up. And uh, this was actually the same intention with which the Public Health Foundation of India was started in 2006. So there's evidence that it actually goes back to 2004, but officially this thing was launched in 2006 by the Gates Foundation with a grant of uh, nearly 65 crore. That should be around 650 million uh, rupees, along with uh, six, 650 million infused from the government itself. So. 650 million taxpayer money, 650 million from the Gates Foundation, and then a lot of uh, further wealth from private uh, billionaires and philanthropists and things I, like
0: that. So, that, I, um, yeah. so that. so that's when the Public uh, Health Foundation of India was founded. And of course, the Public Health Foundation of India in your figures extremely prominently in your research because a lot of things flow from there. And I, I have to tell you, I was shocked at how much money the gates foundation has spread around in all these organizations and let's point out that it's a public private partnership which means it's private money corporations etc and government money which is you know these organizations are are dangerous and i think open to you know conflict of interest of course but i want to read because your research is amazing. I wanna read the funders because it says it all. The funders of the Public Health Foundation of India include the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, Rockefeller Foundation, World Bank, PATH, which is a health organization, public health organization funded by Gates, um, Diamond Jubilee Trust of the Queen of England. I thought that was very interesting. USAID, we know about that. Welcome Trust, Abbott McKenzie, Eli Lilly, Glaxo Smith Klein, Bayer, National Institute of Health here, and Google. That basically tells you everything you need to know, I think. Yeah, I mean, what, what does yeah, that yeah. tell you? What is that list?
1: actually the list is pretty extensive i've not referenced uh, the other funders which include many universities from abroad like uh, oxford and uh, Emory university and a couple of more universities from from the west are also funding the public health foundation of india and it seems to be like a pay to play like a lot of the people who sit on the board of the public health foundation of india are representing the funders like if Wellcome Trust is putting some funding into PHFI, then they have the Wellcome Trust person sitting on the board. If a university is putting it, then they have that university's person sitting on the board. The Gates Foundation put in money, so they had someone from the Gates Foundation represented on the board. So it seems to be like, we give you money and uh, you let us uh, you know, push our interests and our agenda through your board. That's what it seems to be. And overall, I mean, uh, me studying the history of the Gates Foundation and the Rockefellers and uh, the other eugenicists and the Welcome Trust as well. It's, it seems to be that uh, the, the globalist forces that really want to hijack the public health system and uh, impose a kind of uh, medical tyranny that, that, that we're seeing today. This uh, plan goes back a long time ago and that's why they laid the foundation since then and uh, their motive was to really create a body where they could hijack the public health officials And then have all this money come in from these bodies, which are all driven towards pushing a certain globalist agenda. And then you hijack the government bodies, you basically have your people represented on the board, you have your funding coming in so you get to dictate where uh, the direction of the organization as well as the recommendations that it's making to the government are going. And then that money basically influences the researchers and the people who are working over there to go in government and then Push the agenda of the Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation and the pharmaceutical companies on the public health system. So they have easy access to the legislative uh, process, basically. Like they they go and get to directly lobby the state governments as well as the national government. And uh, without too much scrutiny, they get to impose policies which uh, directly benefit these vested interests and are against the rights and liberties of the people.
0: Okay. So let's, let's, let's do some history first okay and let's focus on the gates foundation because the gates foundation the other first of all the public health foundation of india has all these like little sub units and organizations that have been coordinating to control the covid-19 pandemic situation and to and to control policy towards that but before we even get into that Let's let's talk about the history of the Gates Foundation in countries with large poor populations, pushing experimental vaccines on on uh, particularly children, but women, women and children, with disastrous results. Because could you talk about that also in India?
1: Yeah, I can mainly speak to it from an Indian perspective because I've done a lot of research into that. I've I've researched some other countries as well, like Nigeria, so we get into that. But as far as India is concerned, uh, what happened in 2006-2007 is something I've referenced in this article as well. But uh, the Gates Foundation stepped in with PATH, that's the Program for Appropriate Technologies in Health or something similar to that. And they were actually funding these trials to push the HPV vaccine and get it into the Indian schedule. That's so the, the, the
0: virus vaccine.
1: Yes. That's about yes. the Cervical Cancer. Supposedly,
0: right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right.
1: Yeah. So they wanted to get that included in the Indian schedule. So the, our health body, like the ICMR, the Indian Council of Medical Research, actually collaborated with this NGO that was being funded by the Gates Foundation and they signed a memorandum of understanding to basically get the HPV vaccine introduced in the Indian schedule. Like, so, I mean, if you just sit to think about it, they actually got our health body, our national government health body to sign a MOU with them to push to get the vaccine included in the schedule, which shouldn't be the motive of our health body. Like Our health body is just supposed to be coordinating medical research in India. They shouldn't have a stake in which vaccines get approved in the schedule or not. And uh, the, the, the fallout of this whole incident was that they did these uh, trials in uh, the state of Gujarat and Andhra Pradesh. that two states in India, very popular states. And uh, what happened is that they did not take consent from a lot of the people who were being uh, vaccinated, mainly children. The consent forms were forged. like uh, they basically took signatures from the school teachers or you know other people who weren't directly connected with the children. They forged a lot of signatures. And uh, they did not even report uh, or recall adverse events correctly. Like when you're conducting a clinical trial, you're supposed to have like meticulously collect uh, adverse events, like serious adverse events. But that wasn't done as well. So this whole controversy took place nearly uh, as far as the media reported around 1,100 to 1,200 uh, women landed up with uh, autoimmune conditions and various other kinds of health issues. Seven children died in that trial. So this uh, got a lot of uh, heat from the press as well now as they paid Now the, they
0: paid these people seven, and these are very poor people. They paid them like 750 rupees per shot or something. Oh, no, no, that's
1: that's a, that's a later trial. I'll come to oh, that. I'm okay. talking about 2007 okay. right now. Okay. Yeah, so in, in 2007, this whole incident happened. And uh, this- Were there this any repercussions?
0: Over. Any legal repercussions for that? What yes, happened?
1: Yes, I'm coming to that. Okay. So what happened is it went all the way up to the parliament in India and they constituted a parliamentary committee to look into this trial. And uh, the parliamentary committee published a very, very scathing report. Like, uh, they basically uh, mentioned that this path body that was coordinating this whole thing, they had come with the agenda of getting this vaccine introduced into the Indian market, and they that would result in a windfall profit. Like, had it got approved, it would be a huge, uh, you know, profitable enterprise for the vaccine manufacturers and they actually landed up capturing our own uh, government body, that's the ICMR. So they our uh, parliamentary body even accused the ICMR of colluding with uh, the vaccine manufacturers. And what they recommended was that there should be an immediate inquiry and uh, this PATH body that's, uh, you know, that was doing the research, they should be prosecuted. And uh, they went as far as to say that PATH is doing trials in other countries on the HPV vaccine. So India should open diplomatic channels to communicate with other countries so that action can be taken against PATH in other countries as well. Like that's how serious they were. So long story short, nothing uh, came out of that uh, report. Like there was no action taken by the authorities. Uh, although it was a very, very high parliamentary committee report with a lot of parliamentarians on it, senior parliamentarians on it. And what happened is that an NGO landed up doing a case against Path and uh, the pharmaceutical companies in 2013. And that case is still ongoing to this date. Uh, they've been basically like playing football since since uh, the last seven, eight years. And the well, case is still ongoing. Happened. Nothing's happened. No, they weren't prosecuted. Yeah, the government gave one reply in the middle of the case in 2015 where they were saying that, According to Indian law, we, we can't really do anything much. All we could do is we stop the trial. So we stopped the trial that time, but we can't do anything much according to Indian law. So that case is still ongoing, but the lawyer is fighting for some what kind about of- What the Gates
0: policy. Foundation's role
1: in that? The Gates Foundation was the primary funder. So if not, nothing's even happened to PATH, like the NGO that was doing the trials, nothing's happened to them yet. So you the know, Gates Foundation me. is still yeah. one step further back. Yeah.
0: Why? Why? Why is that?
1: I mean, Why if you, if you think- try to study the history. Yeah, I think there's been a big capture of the judicial system as well. Like, we're facing this right now when we're working on our, uh, you know, COVID-19 related petitions and the vaccine related petitions right now with the Indian Bar Association, who I'm very closely working with. So what, what we're experiencing is that there's roadblocks everywhere. Like, we, I personally have filed petitions in the Supreme Court five months ago, six months ago, that have still not even come up for a listing. Like we've not even had a date despite like six months being passed. And every single day that this is taking place, there are lakhs and crows of people who are getting vaccinated. So we, we, at least I personally suspect that there's been a capture of the judiciary also, like uh, some judges have been bought out. And uh, what we recently also came to know is that our chief justice in India, who's currently heading the you know, judiciary, the judicial system, his mother actually had shares in a vaccine company uh, and him, his mother died a couple of years back and we don't know who the shares went to. And he has very cordial relationships with the, the head of the Bharat Dao tech company, which is making the vaccines in India. So we see these kind of conflicts keep coming up everywhere and the judiciary is no exception. Like I'm not saying that the entire judiciary is corrupt or something, but they've managed to have a handle on the key kind of people who are directing and who hold a lot of power in the system and we we're fighting up against that so the i think the issue has been that we haven't had that kind of public support because even if the judiciary or the judges are bribed then the public support does matter a lot because the judges are always scared about public sentiment and things like that but we are just seeing the start of a health freedom movement in the country which has not really existed for the last uh, 10 years so that's probably the reason why nothing much ended up happening because for something like that to happen you would need a mass movement or some kind of people's movement behind that and thankfully we're seeing that emerging right now so let's let's hope that we have some good results going forward
0: okay so let's go back to the public health foundation of india okay let's talk about what it it propose it tells the public that its mandate is and it, with respect to this covid pandemic and let's talk about what it's really doing and through who
1: yeah so they they actually started with the entire kind of pitch that they wanted to set up public health institutions in india and they wanted to develop capacity for uh, you know public health research, so that we could have a better ecosystem where people could come in and public health education could be uh, promoted more and you know students could be sent abroad um, programs and things like that and in general, the public health kind of infrastructure could develop well. That was the thing that they started out with, or that they wanted to do. But uh, I mean, if you read between the lines, that those kind of agendas have always been a front to basically indoctrinate the the people who are going to be studying in these institutions with a certain uh, you know kind of uh, I would say uh, a certain bend, you know, to to interpreting science and a way of perceiving at least when it comes to the public health outbreaks and epidemics and things like that. So they've been kind of indoctrinated with a certain bent and uh, that education is being influenced uh, a lot by the funders of the Public Health Foundation. That's that's my hunch and that's what we What's see rolling out right
0: now. What's certain bend that you're talking about?
1: It's, it's basically, uh, you know, ha- having this corporatized version of science, which is industry funded, which is uh, driven by political agendas and it's not really driven by pursuits of the truth. So we, we see in the COVID-19 pandemic right now, everything from uh, asymptomatic transmission to uh, flaws in the testing to the mask mandates to, you know, the vaccine adverse events and uh, questions on its efficacy and like all these things. Are, the mainstream narrative is, you know, all of this is fine. Like asymptomatic transmission happens. Masks stop infection from spreading, even from asymptomatic people. And uh, you know, blah blah blah. Like for, for almost all the talking points, they have a certain uh, narrative that they're pushing through the mainstream media and through the you know entire public health ecosystem and all that. So I think that you know, primarily these people spend that much money into PHFI to mainly indoctrinate the researchers who would come up, as well as the the policy making. Of course, that's that's been a big you know goal of theirs to basically influence policy, and they've been very successful in that. Like. A lot of our programs that have been implemented by the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare out here or the ICMR are uh, you know directly kind of uh, suggested to them by committees that include a lot of PHFI people and who are represented well on on these kind of uh, bodies that implement this kind of policy in India which is mainly geared towards uh, you know pushing these agendas of reducing health freedom in general and Increasing profits for like vaccine manufacturers. That's it's largely driven from that perspective. So yeah, I mean, if you ask me, it was set up to do this, and it sounds very innocent and kind of conspicuous to people. Like they wouldn't really suspect much because it's all happening in the name of public health, and you know these scientists want to study better how to control outbreaks and what to do when these kind of pandemics come about. That's the that's the narrative that they push in public. But uh, once you really understand it, once you have a deep study of the science. Not by listening to the so-called experts, but by actually studying the scientific literature yourself and seeing how contradictory their narratives are compared to what that is saying. It it kind of becomes obvious that they're pushing a certain version of science that uh, you know benefits the vested interests that are referenced in the article. So that is what PHFI is set out with, and I think it's it's been very successful in that because a lot of PHFI people have managed to infiltrate uh, you know past government bodies where they've set out big policies for national programs across India. And they've even managed to make it to our COVID task force, which has basically been controlling uh, everything that's been going on in our country with respect to the pandemic of late. So everything to do with lockdown policy, mask policy, uh, forceful testing of asymptomatics and, uh, you know, pushing vaccines, although they're not uh, technically mandatory in India, but it's kind of become like they're mandatory because you need them to go around. And get a job or to go into a park or things like that. That's starting to become more and more extreme. So behind all of this is the National COVID Task Force, as well as the representatives of PHFI that are advising the state bodies. Like they What's have a PFI? lot of PFI? What PHFI, PHFI? the same, yeah. same oh. body Oh
0: yeah, Public Health yeah. Foundation of yeah. India. Yeah. Now yeah. the COVID task force is is an was started, right, by the by the uh the public health foundation of India, right? It's like an arm of it, right?
1: Or no, is it not? the COVID task force is set up by the Indian Council of Medical Research. That's a government body. OK.
0: Uh,
1: there are ICMR. So ICMR yeah, is a government Indian body Com- that's set up. Yeah.
0: Wait a second, though. I w- I'm sorry to interrupt you. But the Indian Council of Medical Research is in a public-private partnership with the pharmaceutical companies, industrialists, fraudulent, philanthropic institutions. and those all formed the Public Health Foundation of India, right? That's what that's what I saw in your report.
1: Yeah, So what, what I was saying with respect to PHFI is uh, an ICMR is that ICMR got into a partnership with PATH with respect to the with HPV PATH. vaccine was- in 2007. That was like many years ago.
0: Okay, so uh, path what, is that what, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Public Health uh, Foundation, okay, it's funded by them. Okay,
1: so. so, yeah, so that was with council- respect to the vaccine trials that took place many years ago. But what's happened right now is that the ICMR is a totally separate body. Like it's not a public private partnership, but it's actually a government body that's constituted to coordinate medical research in the country. So the ICMR has set up the National COVID Task Force, and the National COVID Task Force has people from PHFI.
0: Oh, they have it but they have people in the, from the public health foundation it's better if you yes, say yes, the yes. name out because people get will okay. get confused they can't keep yeah,
1: okay I'll, I'll just stick to saying public health foundation okay
0: so so <laughs> so every
1: I I every, every government
0: institution is infiltrated well one of the things i found really shocking as you I mean you you have lists and lists of names belonging to each of these you know the Public Health Foundation of India the Indian Council of Medical Research and then of course there's the um immunization technical support unit that was set up by the Public uh, Health Foundation of India what's that talk about that the immunization technical
1: ITSU also has a lot of controversy around it because what happened is uh, this body was set up to be the secretariat of the committee that actually approves vaccines in india so there's a committee called the national technical advisory group on immunization uh, they actually approve which vaccines come into india and which one which ones don't okay so they have like the final authority like they go through the evidence and then they will suggest to the health ministry that okay it's our opinion that these vaccines should come and then the health ministry usually approves them based on their mandate. So ITSU was set up to be the secretariat to the NTAGI, this committee that approves vaccines. But it was set and up the by the...
0: Yeah, but it was, it, it was, wait a second though. It was set up by the Public yes, it Foundation. In it was set not up by Bill Gates. It was set up by the Gates Indian. Foundation. Yeah, but not by the Indian government. So why would...
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: That, do you understand what I'm saying here? I mean, if, yeah, the, if I, the if the Indian government wanted an immunization technical support unit uh, that was for the people, uh, top interest is the people of India. Why would they allow the Public Health Foundation of India to set that up?
1: Exactly, that's the that's the point I raised in my article that this body was funded by the Gates Foundation, and the funding came in through PHFI. So Gates Foundation actually gave a seven million dollar grant to PHFI to set up the ITSU. So it was in collaboration with the Gates Foundation and the Public Health Foundation of India. And then this body comes in and basically serves as a secretariat to the committee that's going to decide which vaccines come in the country. This caused a lot of controversy in 2017. Okay, this entire ITSU issue caused a lot of controversy. And a lot of people in the country actually started questioning that uh, you know, Gates has a conflict of interest. He's sitting and funding this committee out here, which is helping the body, which is deciding which vaccines are coming into the country. So it's an obvious conflict of interest. So that whole controversy resulted in the Gates Foundation's funding being withdrawn from the ITSU. Like the Gates Foundation was, had funded the ITSU, but then that whole controversy resulted in okay, Gates so Foundation's it re- funding. It withdrew re-
0: its funding from the Immunization Technical Support Unit.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And that, that time also what happened is because of all this controversy, the Public Health Foundation of India's uh, foreign license was canceled. So the Public Health Foundation of India actually could not get foreign funding for nine months. And then because they had good connections with the prime minister and uh, they had good networks everywhere, they were able to get the funding back after being suspended for nine months.
0: But also the, technical, the uh, immunization technical support unit, uh, apparently after the controversy, uh they they didn't get they, they got they still got funding for gates but for other things yes, so
1: yes they removed from the better, main area
0: yeah yeah i mean uh this is crazy i look yeah. after i read this and tell me if i'm exaggerating here it's like the gates foundation and a few others like rockefeller but gate the gates foundation is really the prime prime one they're controlling India's health policy on COVID and actually on a are, lot yeah. of other things too.
1: Yeah. I've, I've I've restricted this piece mainly to COVID and the the health training that's taking place. But I've researched the currency side of things, uh, you know, the biometrics, the, the the health IDs and all of that. Like he has his he has his fingers everywhere along with the Rockefellers and the same people. Like you see USA keeps coming up again and again. welcome trust uh, you know, and same kind of uh, institutions are playing and pushing these agendas on us. But it's prominently the Gates Foundation. Yeah, the Rockefeller Foundation is like kind of a second, a little bit of a hidden driver. Yeah, secondary. Yeah, but the yeah. Gates Foundation is an its uh, primary kind of uh, influence. You know, steering uh, public health policy in the country. I, I,
0: it's just shocking to me. It's shocking to me. But, and, how much money have you have you figured that out like how much money in how many organizations and departments because the other thing is too is these public-private partnerships allow members of the Indian government public health members of the Indian government to also collect salaries from these these partnership partners that are not government control right
1: we so find least, some we... right to information act request to find that out what what i'm sure about is that the president of the public health foundation of india is getting a huge salary from from these people who are funding it from outside but uh, the public health foundation of india actually has some government representatives also like they have like you know very very influential bureaucrats people who are heads of uh, the indian council of medical research and the ministry of health and family welfare so they have actually managed to get these people ex-officio on their board, meaning that it's like after three years, if someone else becomes president, then automatically they get they come into the board of the Public Health Foundation of India. So it's like no matter you know who it's comes, it's like a revolving in, door. You yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Uh, so we so don't know actually when whenever we filed requests with the government, asking for uh, the permissions that these bureaucrats were given to go and sit with the private partners they don't they said that we have not given any permission so the rti responses tell us that we've not given any permission to our director general to go and sit in the public health foundation of india so despite well, no permission being given just sitting there
0: if they haven't given permission for their public servant to s- serve on the uh, the public uh, health, uh, foundation health foundation of india then what repercussions should that public servant are there any repercussions for not doing it without permission?
1: Yeah, our, lo- our lawyers are of the opinion that there are legal repercussions, and we are filing a criminal case against these people after collecting some some more evidence. Like We are still waiting for certain uh, Right to Information Act requests to come in, and then we're going to proceed with uh, a legal suit, a criminal suit against uh, a lot of these characters that I've referenced in my article.
0: Okay, so you... Again, I'm going to I'm going to attach the link to your research paper um to this interview. But it, it just it's absolutely devastating to read all those names and Gates Foundation. Welcome, Fund trust this uh, just funded by uh, you know everybody in the world who wants to sell vaccines uh in perpetuity. You know, I mean that that is clear and and one thing you did is you named some names and i'd like you to do that to name some names of people and you and you you you, you wrote that bad science information these people are public figures and they speak publicly about covid and they they convey bad science and it's sort of if you're conveying bad science, you're actually on the payroll for the Gates Foundation and other or you're you're funded in some way by the Gates Foundation and some of these other entities that, that are, you know, private entities. Could you talk about some of the things these who these people are, what what government uh, or public private groups they're with and what they say that's not true to the public?
1: Yeah, so that's actually a very interesting segue because uh, I've done a lot of research into this, and actually, until the last, uh, you know, three or four weeks, even I myself didn't know the names of who's sitting in the National COVID Task Force, and this is supposed to be the most influential body in the country that's responsible for all the lockdowns that we've had and everything to do with the vaccination policy and all Wait of that.
0: Wait a minute, did you just say that you didn't, that nobody knew before now? who was on the national covid task force for india
1: yes yes it's, it's been a secret
0: how can that be Yeah. why was it secret i know yeah. why they yeah, they
1: they've, they've denied that information and i just managed to find it like 2 3 weeks back when i was doing my research because i found it in the archives of one of the government websites they had uploaded it sneakily over there but in the media like i was following a lot of the media reporting on the task force so i found articles like just i mean 1 2 months back i've referenced a lot of these articles that uh, you know the media has done talking about how it's a travesty that we don't know the names of these people who are doing all of this stuff and I'm like you know it took me 10 minutes when I actually started to you know put my mind to it to figure out their name like how couldn't you guys find it you know
0: so So I find it a little fishy
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) so a lot of these people in the task force are actually go back to the public health foundation of India so if you see like nearly six or seven people who are sitting in the task force are representing the public health foundation of india in some way either directly or uh, they are government bureaucrats who are sitting on the board of the public health foundation of india so a lot of these people are there and then there are many other scientists and researchers who get funding from the gates foundation who are affiliated with the rockefeller foundation in some way who go around uh, you know like doing speaking engagements for pharmaceutical companies and getting fees from them so I've, I've mentioned the conflicts of all the 25 members. Like the, it's 21 members, plus uh, you know like two coordinators and one like facilitator. So it's around 23, 24 people, and uh, these people are literally responsible for na- like nationally everything that's happened in our country, and all the health like medical tyranny that's taking place. These people are directly responsible for that because they give the recommendations to the prime minister, and then the prime minister decides what, what's going to happen. So it's, it's actually baffling for me as well as a researcher that these names weren't known. But thankfully, I, I managed to put my mind to it and figure these names out and not just the names. Like it's it's a, it's a one thing to know who these people are, but it's another thing to know that like they have deep connections with the Gates Foundation. Like some of the people who are sitting in the task force, their research is directly funded by the Gates Foundation. Like there are no co-authors or anything like that. Like They're heading one project and it's getting direct funding from the Gates Foundation. Similar things with the Rockefeller Foundation and Welcome Press and USAID. And a lot of these people actually have public relations with Gates. Like some of the bureaucrats have mentioned in the report on scientists, they have actually launched programs in India that were, you know, kind of uh, created like meant, like who are the child of the Gates Foundation. Like The Gates Foundation actually came up with a program uh, to promote a behavior change after the first wave in India subsided. So that included encouraging people to wear masks in public and at home, and encouraging social distancing. So this entire program was actually devised and created by the Gates Foundation, and then they basically give it to one of our ministries, and the ministry like basically just gives it to the media and coordinates the whole thing, and like coordinates the entire media, you know, kind of uh, promotion of something that is developed by the Gates Foundation. Like that—that's how connected. Uh, uh, the Gates Foundation is with the public health system out here like he's literally sitting and making up Policies and then he's making the bureaucrats actually implement them all across the country and control the media messaging and everything So I've, I've gone through a lot of these conflicts in the article itself They're like 25 members, but no matter who I research I always found something going back to the World Bank or the Gates Foundation or the Rockefeller Foundation or any of these You know entities that have that referenced out here like the Wellcome Trust and the USAID and other bodies so that's I mean that's a small world, right? Like I, I thought I would manage to find at least few people who are honest, and it's not like we don't have honest scientists. Like we have scientists sitting in these bodies itself, like the Indian Council of Medical Research, and the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, who have been honest, like who have a track record of actually you know approving vaccines which are really for public health and not kind of going after pharmaceutical profits and things like that. So we have people like that, but where are they? Where been... are
0: they now? Are they speaking out?
1: yeah they are speaking out they they do come in the media but they don't get a lot of press it's it's mainly through channels like mine and our networks and things like that that we help them to get their messages out and some um, alternative media outlets do do pick up on what they're saying but in the mainstream they're largely ignored and if, if they do get some mention it's very very little like it's pour mostly who your top the media
0: who your top mainstream media outlets in in india
1: uh, Times of India, India Today, Z News, uh, Republic. There are a couple of them, NDTV as well. So these are like the the prominent ones. But then you have certain ancillary ones as well as well like the uh, Hindustan Times and Midday and Mumbai Mirror and uh, there are there are many. I mean, like the media landscape out here is very very vast. So you and actually all have all in
0: lockstep of- with with the, the the message of these uh, yes yes these paid off people.
1: Yeah, I mean, no matter where you look, like even the the media that's supposed to represent the left in the country, the media that's coming more from a nationalist uh, right-wing kind of bent, uh, all of them have the same narrative on COVID, more or less. They have some scribbles about little details here and there, but by and large, when it comes to the fundamentals of the science behind the pandemic policies, they're all uh, like in lockstep with uh, everything, and that's why there's been very little questioning in the country, and that's that's why we are in the state we are today
0: and and what are the primary messages being being sent out? What are the primary messages?
1: I mean, I've referenced people in the task force who are giving messages like it's time to wear masks at home and we need to wear masks for the next year or two. like they give out outlandish statements like that. and a lot of the people uh, they, they keep mentioning that the vaccines are safe and effective and uh, these statements actually came out at a time when the phase three trials were not even like they did not even have the interim data for one of the one of the vaccines. Like uh, there's one person in the task force who I referenced, who actually made a statement that a certain vaccine was safe when only the second phase trials were completed and the phase one phase two trials only look at 800 people. Who was and that person? Phase does doesn't even look. His name is K Vijayraghun.
0: So and he actually is-
1: holds a lot of uh, clout. He he is a principal scientific advisor to the government of India. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's a guy of that kind of stature and uh, he actually collaborated with the Rockefeller Foundation recently on, on uh, increasing COVID-19 testing in India. So the Rockefeller Foundation actually sent a huge grant like a couple of months back to ramp up the testing. And he recently published a paper with them, actually you know, uh, relating to the testing policies in India. Do you
0: think he knows what he's doing? Do you think he knows he's lying to the public?
1: I, th- I think some of these people do. Like, if you see people like, uh, and like some of the people I mentioned in the report, like uh, Narendra Arora and uh, Gagandeep Kang, like there's some people who hold a lot of influence and who are really, really like dominating news headlines. I'm pretty sure they know what they're up to. But uh, some of these people lower down, like some of the other members of the task force, I don't think they're necessarily doing it from a conspiracy conspiratorial kind of perspective or taking money from people um they could be i'm not saying no but i think it's more of an implicit thing with a couple of people as well that uh, you know we have this organization and these kind of bodies that are funding us so there's this implicit kind of agreement that you have to go along with the narrative that these people are pushing otherwise uh, you won't be allowed to progress in your career or if you speak out then your salary Uh, might be threatened i'm sorry
0: Uh, should you be progressing in your career when you're going along with the program when you know the program is fraudulent?
1: Yeah, they shouldn't uh, be. I mean, I'm just saying like what the reasons could be in their mind for, for not doing that. They're wrong for, for not doing it. This is resulting in a lot of lives being lost and uh, a lot of uh, precious liberty of the people being taken away. But uh, I think some of these people are actively collaborating and getting big kickbacks, like at least the prominent people. I, I do think from my study that a lot of these people are getting kickbacks. And the, the, the travesty is that uh, these people dominate all the government bodies. Like, so you, you'll see one person who's advising the Gates Foundation on vaccine policy. Then he's going and sitting in the National Technical Advisory Group on Immunization that's deciding which vaccines will come in the Indian market. Then he's going and sitting in the Vaccine Safety Committee that decides, uh, you know, which adverse events are related to vaccines, which ones are not. Then he's going and sitting in another committee that, that's deciding on vaccine research and development in the country so they're huge conflicts of interest like these some of these key people they keep coming in the media like they they get to dominate the headlines you know day after day and the same people keep coming on board okay i've, I've mentioned some of these in the article separately like the three four people i've mentioned that who, who are not sitting in the task force but they hold a lot of clout when it comes to influence in uh, you know directing government policies and the media narrative and the public perception So a lot of these people actually go and either... So I'll give you an example, like N.K. Arora, he's taking money from Gates for his research directly. He's advising the Gates Foundation uh, on immunization uh, programs. He's actually heading a program that was started by the Gates Foundation in collaboration with one of our local ministries. Then he's going and sitting in the COVID task force, but not in the main task force, in the research side of the task force. Then he's going and sitting in the adverse events committee. Then he's going and sitting in the committee that is actually involved in changing the classification of which deaths happen after vaccines. So, it's like a vicious revolving door, you know, they have the people like covering all the bases, you go in the media, you go sit in this committee, so we cover up the vaccine adverse events, you go and sit here, so we get to decide what the policy is across the country. So, there are some prominent people like that, their names would be Narendra Arora, Gagandeep Kang, Srinath Reddy, that's the president of the Public Health Foundation of India, I mentioned Gagandeep Kang. So Gagandeep Kang actually has like 60 to 70 percent of her research is sponsored by the Gates Foundation. Like I I mentioned like one of the links so you can go and see all the research she's done and it's like overwhelming majority of all her research is like funded by the Gates Foundation. She's heading a kind of incubator at one of the labs out here which is directly supported by the Wellcome Trust. It's a Wellcome Trust initiative. So what, I think what they think they, they'll get away is that their, their public narrative is Gates is a philanthropist and he's doing all of this to actually uh, you know push forward public health and sort of science-related public health in the country. But uh, what they're kind of duping people on is that they basically made like a three-way connection. Like either, you know, people get red flags when they notice that someone's being funded directly by a pharmaceutical company. But if you make it so that it's a philanthropist that's funding you, then it it's like okay, like you know, why would what's the problem? You know, that's that's the kind of uh, whenever these people have been confronted in the media, that's the kind of response they give, like oh, okay, like there is no such thing as big pharma and these conspiracy, these are all conspiracy theories, and that's the kind of uh, messaging they give in the media. Whenever these controversies have come up that I told you about, and they have to actually confront people, that's the kind of messaging they use. But our point is that. The Gates Foundation and Wellcome Trust are holding huge investments in vaccine companies. Like they, they have actual money invested in these companies and then they're going and, you know, creating these bodies like Gavi, whose sole mission is to open up vaccines and the markets in the developing world to basically sell their vaccines. So Gates and Wellcome Trust are very, very largely invested like financially in the outcome of what they will get by doing their so-called so called philanthropy through these bodies which will directly, you know, benefit them financially overall
0: well didn't you say who did you say was collecting five percent of biotech it's biotech
1: uh, yes 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 so I'll, I'll I'll reference that so what I meant when I when I wrote that is that uh, the you... Indian Council of Medical Research okay that's yeah. actually set up the task force in the country they are getting a five percent kickback on the vaccines that are sold so think about this well it's a government body that's set up by taxpayer money They actually collaborated with the vaccine manufacturer to make the vaccine. These people are going and setting up the task force, which is going to decide what's happening with vaccine policy in the country, among other things. And then they're getting a financial reward from the number of vaccines that are sold. So, so, I mean, like, why would they make policies that, uh, you know, encourage that, okay, if you're naturally immune, you don't need to take a vaccine. That's going to go against their profits, right?
0: Let me ask you something. I mean, you're taking this research to the health ministry and you know, petitioning for them to deal with all these people who are engaging in serious conflicts of interest that you outline in your research paper. Do you really think the Ministry of Health is not aware of this situation?
1: I, I think they definitely are. Uh, that's why we, we've just sent a legal notice to try to give them a fair chance because uh, our, our new health minister has just recently come in. Like, there was a very corrupt health minister before this that was actually sitting on the board of Gavi, and he, he kind of was praising Bill <laughs> Gates on Twitter openly. Wait, hold up, <laughs> hold things, up, hold so, up. Yeah.
0: India's previous health minister was on the board of this Gates founded uh, Foundation, Gavi, that was... Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: a lot lot of Indian what's, people are on the board of CEPI as well.
0: What's
1: SEPI? Uh, That's the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Initiative that was created by Gates in 2017 to uh, create new vaccines for future epidemics. And they actually had a program called Disease X, which was specifically made for a pandemic that randomly just comes about. So they actually had a program that they were funneling money into to develop vaccines for uh, future pandemic outbreaks. And uh, it's, it's kind of like one of these bodies that, you know, Gates creates many, many of these bodies, actually, like Gavi and CEPI. But CEPI was mainly created with the intent to fast track vaccine development. And, and they Gavi, have a lot of Gavi
0: was to promote the vaccines.
1: Yeah, CEPI is to fast track development and like uh, manufacture of these vaccines. Yeah, so, so- we have like pe- yeah, people who sit in, who hold a lot of clout in the public health system. Like I mentioned that guy, K. Vijayagwan, He's actually the principal scientific advisor to the government of India. Then we have people like uh, Gagandeep Kang also, and uh, we have Swami Swaminathan as well. So these, all these people are like affiliated with SEPI or sitting on their board. So these are big conflicts of interest, right? Because you well, we have Swaminathan people- already
0: has lo- a lawsuit against her for uh, didn't she want to pull iver- ivermectin? Talk about that, Uh, pull ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine from the national health policy, uh, COVID health policy of the country, right? Which was uh, uh, not good because it was working, correct? Could you talk about that a
1: little bit? Ivermectin has a long history in India. So what happened actually is that uh, during the second wave, our government body actually put ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine on the national protocol. Like it was there from before itself, but one of the bodies made it very prominent. So after that, a couple of states started giving ivermectin as prophylaxis. Like Uttar Pradesh started, uh, you know, doing that, and then there are other states like Goa, and uh, you know, some other places that wanted to give ivermectin as prophylaxis. So after this whole thing started and people actually started to use ivermectin more in the second wave. Swami so swaminathan gave a statement on twitter saying that uh, it's not evidence based and you know even look i look the even the people who made ivermectin are saying that it's not uh, efficacious and all that so after that actually a state uh, landed up removing ivermectin from the protocol that was andhra pradesh and some other states also like kerala also recently removed ivermectin but what's uh, recently happened in this whole debacle is that the task force that i told you about that's actually infiltrated by all these people They just, like, last week, or I think 10 days ago, they removed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine from the national protocol. So until now, like, until eight, seven or eight days ago, this ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were on the national protocol. And the same task force that we've been talking about this whole interview, they actually just removed that from the protocol. And I think why they did it is pretty obvious now, that that we found out who they are and what what their interests are, right? Well, what
0: are the... Frontline physicians in India saying about that—the ones who are treating people who have COVID—what are they saying?
1: Yeah, so we we still have to kind of evaluate how it's affected the ground level situation. Like for now, they've just removed it from the protocol, so it it it's going to impact uh, how much ivermectin is used because a lot of physicians just go by the protocol, right? So they've, they a lot of people will just go by the protocol. Now, of course, there are some good physicians that have used ivermectin for long and who know how how well it works so they're going to continue to use that it's not illegal or something at least i don't think so i'm pretty sure it's not illegal to use ivermectin now that they've removed it from the protocol but it's it's just going to affect how many people use it because people just like a lot of doctors just blindly go by the protocol and whatever recommendations are coming in from the national task force they they kind of abide by that so it's going to reduce ivermectin's use a lot for sure in india
0: Um, so you mentioned in your research paper that now seventy percent of Indians have, uh, rec- I mean, that India has received uh, is now in herd now has herd immunity because seventy percent have either been vaccinated or yeah. COVID. And so, um, when you say that, are you are you saying then that these you know lockdowns, masks? vaccinations whatever whatever are are you saying that the doctors who actually who are the honest first of all who are the honest doctors there and what are they saying about this 70% immunity and whether it means that people can go around massless move normally or what
1: you know what
0: so, Talk
1: to me about that. So the the doctors who are funded by the industry are saying uh, spinning narratives, like uh, even if they have immunity, like antibodies wane after a time. And because antibody levels wane, so the immunity also goes away. These are the kind of narratives that the industry funded people are pushing. But the honest scientists know that natural immunity is way better than vaccine immunity, in fact vaccines were made to mimic natural immunity in the first place. So you're trying to give a small part of the virus because you don't want a full-blown infection and you want some protection as well. So if, you, if you've if you actually gone and fought the war, why do you, why do you need a kind of uh, you know mimic of what you're actually fighting, which is what the vaccine is? Right. So it's, I mean, the, the people who are honest in the country, like there are some scientists like uh, and doctors like uh, Dr. Jay Kapaliel, who's done a lot of work on this issue in the past as well. Then there's Dr. Jay Prakash Muriel, there's Dr. Sanjay Rai, so, these are some kind of people uh, in the Amitabh Banerjee also. These are people who, prom- like, not so prominently feature in the media, but they do get some coverage every now and then. And they're all saying that uh, herd immunity has been achieved. And uh, now the people who have herd immunity, there's no need for them to get a vaccine. This is what's coming from the honest scientists, like the people who are naturally immune don't need a vaccine and that we can start easing up things and like pe- things can start to go back to some semblance of normal now that uh, this level of immunity has been developed either by vaccines or by natural immunity we have uh, a high number of people who have contracted this virus or its uh, fragment in some way yeah that's what the oh, honest scientists so and
0: and and so these other people that we've been talking about are basically saying more lockdowns, more masks. I mean, yes,
1: what a they say? Yes, yes. Oh, really? really? Yeah. The, actually, I I found a statement from one of the heads, like of the Public Health Foundation of India, the president, uh, who's actually taking drawing a salary of ten million a year from from these people. Uh, he recently said that uh, herd like banking on herd immunity can be dangerous. <laughs> these are the kind of statements they're giving in the media. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, why? <laughs> go
0: okay. So let's say you are going to submit this this um, complaint to the health ministry.
1: We already have. We already sent it to them.
0: Oh, it's already been submitted. Okay. So mm-hmm. so, what do you think the chances are that this is going to get any kind of a fair hearing? And and meanwhile, I mean, how is the COVID situation in India? Are are deaths and and and. Um, and, and infections going up, are they down? Where where are we in India?
1: Ever since the second wave took place, which ended in May, okay, so that's that's been a couple of months since then, uh, it's pretty much gone in India. Like, there's the cases are very, very low. Like, they've been low since a couple of months now. It's not even recent, but they've, they've just plummeted since a long time. Uh, in some states, there are some issues, like Kerala. There's a state in India called Kerala, which is like, full-blown communist and they have like a very very high level of contact tracing and they have very very like intensive testing uh, programs and you know high levels of vaccination as well and they, they've they had a huge problem with their case burden but other than that like in India overall like the cases have been very very low not I don't think that it's uh, wise to take the cases at face value as well because a lot of these cases are totally like asymptomatic people who just land up testing positive on the PCR but uh, if from from that perspective, like uh, that's not an issue in India. What's really an issue right now is the mandates that are coming in. So the mandates that people need to get vaccinated to to go and get a job, or to have access to you know public places, malls, restaurants, like these are the kind of mandates that are coming in. They're actually restricting people's natural rights and stopping them from doing the things that they have the you know liberty to do since since they were born. That's the issue that we're dealing with right now. And on that front a lot of legal work as well as, uh, you know, uh, protests and things like that are taking place out here in the country right now. So
0: the news is tightening in India.
1: Yes, yes, it's tightening uh, quite a lot because, I mean, recently there's a state in India that just, uh, you know, two days back, this is news from two days back where they're planning to actually, like the local municipal corporation is planning to tie up with the police And they're gonna go around checking people at traffic signals who don't have a vaccine certificate. And if they don't have a vaccine certificate, they'll basically go and make them take one. That's the kind of level that certain places in India have reached now, yeah.
0: So let's talk about the pushback. How much pushback has there been and where?
1: Yeah, so our main pushback has primarily been through some uh, great advocates that, that we've come across. So largely, until last year, it was primarily just awareness, like just uh, trying to raise the public consciousness towards becoming aware of these issues and taking a right stand according to you know whatever conclusions people come to eventually after going through the evidence that we're presenting. But recently, since the last year, we've got a lot of legal support from uh, you know people who really know the law very well. So we initially uh, met Mr. Colin Gonzalez, who's the person who's fighting the case that I told you about. Uh, relating to the HPV vaccines, which is going on since 2013. So he's the one who's actually fighting that case. So he helped us a lot legally, like his uh, network actually filed a lot of lawsuits in certain northeastern states in India, and we got good orders from the judges over there. And the judges gave orders basically respecting people's right to choice and saying that there's no difference between a vaccinated person and and an unvaccinated person in terms of the potential to spread. So there's no sense in terms of restricting anything for them, because uh, that would amount to discrimination and you can't discriminate as per article 14 of the constitution of India. So we got some really good judgments from, from those uh, you know, northeastern high courts, which uh, Mr. Gonzalez helped us a lot in. Uh, then we also came in uh, touch with Mr. Prashant Bhushan, who's a very big public interest litigation lawyer out here. So his case has been ongoing in the Supreme Court, like uh, there was a second hearing supposed to happen a couple of uh, weeks back, but uh, it did not come up for hearing and then again it got postponed by four weeks. So mainly with the court system, what we're seeing right now is that even if the cases are managing to come, then they keep delaying it for some reason, they keep giving future dates and, uh, you know, they just try to push it, like they try to buy time basically, because they know that the more time that goes by, the more people will be vaccinated. That seems to be the main ploy right now. But finally, like, we were very delighted to come across Mr. dipali oja who I know you've done a lot of interviews with yourself. So I mean... They really understood the ivermectin issue. That's how we connected with them. Because the right. uh, Dipali ma'am like, initially put out a legal notice to Swami Swaminathan that landed up receiving a lot of traction globally as well. And she referenced FLCCC and you a know, couple of other people pushing ivermectin abroad. So that's how I came to know about her and connected with her. But then ever since we've been working uh, very closely since the last two, three months, and we've managed to file a lot of uh, you know, PILs, public interest litigations in our city where we're from. So we actually live in the same city. So we filed a lot of petitions in the Bombay High Court. Uh, we have activities and legal notices that are being sent to P- top bureaucrats and you know people from the public health community in India and the people sitting in the ministries. And we're soon gonna move the Supreme Court as well. So till now, we've not really filed anything in the Supreme Court. But uh, very soon, Mr. Nilesh is uh, going to file a criminal kind of uh, lawsuit in the supreme court basically want like uh, making all these people go to jail and getting compensation from them will be our primary motive
0: so so these people with the conflicts of interest who are getting funded by gates foundation all these other things they you're filing you're going to file criminal lawsuits against them but what about the gates foundation and the rockefeller foundation and all these other entities themselves are, is there any legal action that's going to be taken against them?
1: I will talk to the lawyers about that. I think they would definitely get included because if we are saying that these people are getting funded from vested interests and the vested interests actually controlling our public health policy and the decisions that they're, they're taking, then definitely there, there would be a legal case to hold them accountable as well. But I'm sure the lawyers would know more than that than than I do.
0: I mean, you certainly... I'll tell you, in in this research paper, you certainly made the case that they have come in and basically usurped India's health policy uh on on COVID uh to the detriment of, of, of the Indian people, obviously. I mean that that that's and and they've used people in the Indian government and other and, and business and so on to do that. So, and and this is sort of the clearest, I'll tell you, to me, the value of your research is, this is is really a uh, template for people in other countries to follow. Here's what you look for. And it's, and I think the ultimate key are the private, public uh, um, Partnerships. partnerships, that are facilitated by the nonprofit f- foundations like Bill Gates and uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which are supposed to be, oh, so humanitarian, but actually that's what they're doing, is that they are facilitating these partnerships that ultimately are for business purposes. The business purposes being vaccinate everybody, make billions, and whatever happens to the vaccinated, Oh well. Plus, you know, controlling people's lives, make them wear masks and lockdowns, and so on and so forth. Is that is that an assessment of uh, what you're seeing, or do you have anything to add to that? I mean,
1: what that's is- a perfect conclusion, actually. Yeah, that's that's the state that we're in today, and uh, I think a lot of this information coming out is definitely going to help us going forward because now we're actually going to get to hold these people directly accountable. Like until now, I mean, like it's not—it's so surprising to me that it's, it's just like two, three weeks back that I got to know who the people in the task force are. And so I don't blame other people for the for the lack of knowledge, because even if a, a seasoned researcher like me takes so much time to figure it out, then I mean, like God bless the country. But uh, now that we have the names of these people and we know who the Fauci's are in, in the Indian space, we have a lot of uh, ammunition to go after them in public, because right now the, the all the anger and the frustration was kind of, uh, you know, it's dissipated between nameless pe- bodies and entities like uh, who are driving right. this whole thing. You don't see yeah. a
0: human face to it and you put a human face. By the way, who would you say is the Anthony Fauci of India?
1: Uh, it's a hard one. I I can't give you one people, but I would say Anthony Fauci's power in India has been diffused into four or five people. And these people would definitely be Mr. Sheena Threddy, uh, Gagandeep Kang, K. Vijay Raghavan, N.K. Arora, uh, Balram Bhargava. Like, these would be my top five.
0: What about Dr. Manad Paul? And V.K. Paul?
1: Paul as well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry? Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, oh. so you have, you have five Fauci's. We only have one. <laughs> <laughs> So we're at the end of our time here and I, I yeah. you know I really appreciate the work that you did and uh, I Thank think India all. should be very grateful to you and please do keep keep us posted.